Folks, it's time I tell you about the best tradition in all sports, but at the same time, the most flawed tradition in all sports. Just imagine you're enjoying your night at Fenway Park. You go for, it's the middle of the eighth inning, and then the part of the game that you're so desperately waiting for, for seven and a half innings, finally comes on. That, of course, is Sweet Caroline. The entire Fenway crowd singing it in unison, game in and game out. It's lovely, right? Except... When it's 10 to 1 visitors in the middle of the eighth inning. So I'm here today to tell you that we need to reevaluate if and when Sweet Caroline is played at Fenway Park. Because granted, it is the best tradition in all sports. There's no denying that. But come on, do you really? I was I was at a game a week and a half ago, 10-1 Miami, middle of the eighth. I'm not in the mood to be singing Sweet Caroline right then. A few years ago, John Carlston. It's a ball that still hasn't landed yet. It's a grand slam to put the Yankees up 5-2. Yankee fans are going around seeing Sweet Caroline in Red Sox fans' faces. We need to reevaluate if and when Sweet Caroline is played game in and game out. I don't know if that comes with moving it earlier in the game, but if you don't want to move it earlier in the game, that's fine, but it's a case of read the room. That's all I'm asking. Read the room because Sam Reese it can't always be eight full Red Sox in the middle of the eighth inning like when we went a few months ago. That's right, LG. I mean, I guess when you and I go, things go well for the Red Sox, but that's not always the case. It, it all depends on the situation. You're 100% correct about that. I agree with that take. We can't be, you know, we're not always in a good mood. If, it, if it's a blowout, Red Sox are losing. Why are we singing Sweet Caroline, which is, which is an upbeat song? Come on. A tainted tradition at that, but still the best one in sports. Speaking of tainted, Damian Lillard has tainted his legacy to a T over the past few weeks, demanding a trade at the start of free agency when they didn't deal Scoot Henderson. And now he's all but told teams, if you trade for me, I will be a disgruntled superstar unless you trade me to the one specific team that does not have a ton of assets to trade me for in the Miami Heat. Folks, I would like to introduce you to the new biggest pathological liar in the NBA, and that is Damian Lillard. You cannot preach loyalty for 11 years to a small market like Portland and call out your fellow superstars for making a super team. He called Paul George a chump on Instagram when he joined forces with Kawhi Leonard not too long ago. And now... You're going to Miami, a team that has made three of the last four Eastern Conference Finals, is coming off of a finals appearance, already has a bona fide superstar in Jimmy Butler. And with Vincent gone, Struess gone, we'll talk more on that later, their depth has diminished to the point where all they can really give up is Tyler Hero, who teams don't want, and rightfully so, because he's an injury risk. So to sit here and demand to be traded to that one team you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain sam i i agree with you and there's a reason why everyone's been kind of sitting around for a while and and that's because it's it's sort of an awkward situation where yeah as you mentioned willard basically there's reports saying that if he if he was traded to any other team but Miami, he straight up wouldn't show up. So that makes it difficult for the other teams that possibly want, you know, have interest in him or want to go after him because all of a sudden they're saying, Well, why are we gonna do this if if he's saying that 
this would be a, a waste a waste to to look into really and and you're right i mean how many assets does miami have to give portland not many at all and and that's why it's sort of a standstill at the moment and lillard has made it clear it's miami or bust for him and and yeah it i had i had a lot of respect for Damian lillard over the years for sticking with portland and and you know being loyal to that fan base and wanting to to win a championship with them eventually obviously it hasn't worked out that way and and i and i get that he's done so much for the trailblazers and some people might think hey portland should do what what he wants and what's right for him but at the end of the day the, the trailblazers have control over the situation and and you're right lillard you know, had been one of those few loyal guys in today's NBA. So to sort of sort of turn his back on that and all of a sudden say, hey, I want to go to Miami or nothing else. You know, it's it sort of defeats the narrative, at least I had on Lillard. But at the end of the day, LG, I guess that's today's NBA and Lillard kind of folded into what we've seen some of these other superstar players try to do, which is force themselves to go to a certain team. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with him wanting to get out of Portland. In fact, I think it's a little bit overdue because the Trailblazers, being a small market team, aren't exactly a prime destination for some of the big-name free agents over the past few years. So I have no problem with him asking out. What I do have a problem with is saying, essentially, this is the team you will trade me to, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, we've seen different situations with superstars. Donovan Mitchell gave a list of preferences, wound up in Cleveland, and Cleveland was not on their list. Kyrie, we know that well, gave a list of preferences, got stuck in Boston. It was it was a bad move for both parties. So it doesn't always end out that way. Kawhi Leonard wasn't thrilled about being traded to the Raptors five years ago, and look how that ended up. They won a championship with them. So it's definitely not an end-all, be-all that he ends up in Miami. But the way he's approaching it, like almost holding a gun to Portland's front office's head, and really the other 28 teams, with the exception of Miami, you will not trade for me. You will trade me to Miami. He's become the very thing he's sworn to destroy. It's almost like Anakin Skywalker's turn in Revenge of the Sith. You know, he starts out fighting, fighting the Sith, and then he turns into the very thing he swears to destroy, right? Damian yep. Lillard hated super teams. Surprise! Now you're on one with Jimmy Butler and Van Adebayo, more likely than not. And I will say, though, even if Miami does pull the trigger, what more do they have to give up other than Tyler Hero? Because you bring in Lillard, you have what? Him, Butler, Adebayo, Caleb Martin to make up four starting spots. Who else do you have now that Vincent's gone, Struess is gone, you traded Oladipo to the Thunder? Granted, the first two of those guys I'm not the biggest fans of because they're just not super bouncy guys, which is what the NBA is seemingly made of these days. And I'm curious to see how their games will play out outside of Miami, which is a system that has been known to get the absolute max out of players. I just don't know how big of an impact he will make in terms of winning a championship. Because, Sam, he's only been to the conference finals once. That's true. That is that is true. Uh, he he hasn't had that, you know, NBA finals experience, hasn't really made many deep runs in the playoffs. And, 
that that's an interesting point you bring up uh, because it'll if if obviously if that deal gets done and he is a Miami Heat yeah. player it, yeah exactly if it's it's a different situation for Lillard because yeah then he's alongside Butler he's obviously with a contender um I I I have a feeling he he makes a big impact I do I think Lillard's good enough to have that impact and, and, and make the heat that much better in, in a real contender. But I get where you're coming from LG where, you know, he hasn't, he does he have that killer instinct because he doesn't really have that experience of making a deep run in the playoffs and seeing if, if he can make an impact on a team that could be a contender. So I still have my questions, but I think he's a good enough player where he could be a real asset for this heat team in terms of getting across that line and perhaps winning a championship i mean sam he's only been past the first round three times and you look at those three instances the first time he hit the buzzer beater against the rockets team that had major chemistry issues with dwight howard omar Hashik, and chandler parsons the second time he got through a clippers team that had chris paul and blake griffin injured during the lob city days then a few years ago he ran into the thunder team that had Westbrook and Paul George, and that team was wired with major issues. And then you beat Denver in the second round in a game seven. To that point, that is the signature moment of Lillard's career. But besides that, he hasn't done a whole lot. And it's not exactly a small sample size. So great player, has proven proven himself to be a big time shot maker and had big games. Now, can you do it in a game seven against Milwaukee in the second round or Boston in the conference finals, assuming those are your two main competitors come next April. That's the big question. If he even ends up there. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm with you. That is the big question. And everyone is right to bring that up because as great of a player as he is, you know, he still, he still hasn't been at that level, you know, in the playoffs because he hasn't gotten there with, with the trailblazers often, uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see if that move gets done, what that Miami team shapes into, and and if they can be a, a real contender, and how much he elevates Miami come playoff time. Because he can put up all the stats in the regular season, as you say, but can he can he make that big shot in the playoffs? That's that's the question everyone wants to know. That is indeed the question. Elsewhere in the NBA, we've seen a lot of different players sign different deals. I I have a problem with it, Sam, because. At the end of the day, we're sitting here on July 8th, 2023, and you're telling me that these players, Tyrese Halberton, Lamella Ball, and Devontis Sabonis, all very good players, Sam, all very good players. But you're trying to tell me that not one, not two, all three of those guys can command over $40 million per season on the open market, getting over $200 million total guaranteed unless i'm mistaken there comes a point sam when it's just too much these contracts have gotten out of control way out of control i mean it's ridiculous at this point these are these these contracts are crazy to me for one of the best players in the league i mean sure it reasonable i would say i guess for one of the best players in the league but we're talking about guys like halliburton lamello ball as you said, these are good players, but do they deserve this much money? I mean, I I 
don't think so at all. Not even close, in my opinion. So I find it intriguing that that some of these teams, you know, like the Pacers, like the Hornets, are are willing to very early on, you know, in in July, ink these contracts for these players and say, yeah, you're you're our you're our guy going forward, leading the way. When how much, these guys haven't proven that much to earn this much money? Am I crazy for saying that, Liam? Not at all, Sam. And good players as they are, you know, there was a time a few years ago when an appropriate deal for players of these calibers, the Lamella Balls, Tyrese Halberton, and Sabonis of the world, would be four years 80, four years 90, four years yeah. 100, not even close to $200 million. And Sam, we're sitting here, hasn't been signed yet, but all signs are pointing towards Jalen Brown signing a five-year $295 million super max extension. Let that let that sit in for a minute. $295 million over five years. That's almost $60 million a season. Jim Brown is a fantastic player. Top 15 in the league. But the only guy right now in professional sports that could that should command a salary that large is someone by the name of Shohei Otani. More on him later. Jalen Brown is a fantastic player. He's someone the Celtics need to and will lock up for the next few years. $59 million a season? I understand purely because of how the market has shifted. What are we doing? When the new CBA was signed in, what, 2016 when the salary cap spiked? Ever since that woeful 2016 class when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors, salaries have gone out of control, out of control, and they've just grown even more so over the past few years because of how the new CBA has affected that. So when I sit here today and think about that, Jalen Brown is getting money that really only Shohei Otani should be getting among professional athletes. I love Jalen Brown, but it's only a matter of time, Sam, before this becomes a serious issue. It really is. I mean, when will it stop? It just keeps going up and up i guess inflation has been an issue across the board <laughs> just in in this country in general but in the nba in particular i mean it's getting outrageous at this point and it, there's no sign showing that there's going to be any cap at some point i mean these contracts are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually i have to think the nba is going to realize all right hey we're going we're going to have to tone down here there's only so much money we can hand out to these guys uh, a, a lot of the guys that simply shouldn't be earning anywhere close to the money that they're getting so it it is it is very interesting i mean all of a sudden over the last five six years my goodness these, these contracts make my head hurt doing the math and, and and seeing how much these guys are making in a single year it's mind-boggling you said if i had to bet without a market is shifting at this time next season, Jason Tatum might sign an extension worth over $300 million. Yep, absolutely. $300 million. We haven't seen anything like that in the NBA. The only guys we've seen get money like that in Major League Baseball are Harper, Betts, Machado, among other Harper, Betts, Trout, I should say, among others. The Machado did get $300 million now that I think about it. The NBA is shifting to baseball where the salary contracts are just so bloated. You're not going to get the length that you're going to get out of baseball contracts like you're not going to get these 13-year deals that Bryce Harper got in the NBA 
but still, this is getting out of control. It's get, it is. But with that, let's move on to Major League Baseball. We had a great week in front of us, Sam. Last weekend of the first half is somehow by the grace of God already here, which means home run derby Monday, all-star game Tuesday. Let's start with the latter. Rosters were finalized last weekend and have been shifting over the course of the week, what with injuries and whatnot. I'm just going to throw it out there. We need, need to eliminate the stupid rule that all 30 teams have to send someone. Mm-hmm. If your team is not playing at a competent level, then you don't deserve to have someone in the All-Star game. Period. You just don't. Why is Michael Lorenzen, Tiger starter, a guy with an, o- an ERA well over four, going to the All-Star game? Why? When you, could, mm-hmm. when you could be sending someone like a Brian Bayo or a Kevin Gaussman, even though I think he ended up making it. There are plenty of excellent starters in Major League Baseball that did not make the All-Star game. But then you have Michael Lorenzen, who somehow is. Sam, we need to rethink this process, and we need to rethink it now. Yeah, it's very stupid. I mean, come on. It's it's like participation trophies. Your, your team is in the league, so you get to send a player to the All-Star game. I mean, come on. What are we doing? There's some bad teams in the MLB, and players on those teams shouldn't be rewarded for that. I don't care if, you know, people say, hey, it's just it's just one player from each team. That's fair. Oh, come on. I mean, you know, you, you compare one team to another and one team could have five, six all stars. Another team could have none. That's just how it is. Some teams have are much better than others. Some teams have a lot have rosters that are a lot better than other teams. That's just the reality. Some teams don't deserve to have all stars. Just look at the stats. That will tell you as much, and I, I agree. The MLB has to look into that. Sam, I agree with you completely. You earn your all-star yes. status. You're not given your all-star status. Look at the Texas Rangers. One, two, three, four, five. Five different hitters starting because they had the best offense in baseball far and away this season. Plain and simple. All five of those guys have earned the right to take the field in Seattle on Tuesday, and I can't wait to see what they'll do. Now, in terms of Looking at it holistically, that leads to a lot of snubbery, Sam. You look at Wander Franco, who somehow went into went the weekend with, what, a top three OPS in all Major League Baseball and got snubbed in favor of Whit Merrifield. That's another thing, Sam. Yeah. I think the positions factor taking into account when it comes to All-Star Game selection, that needs to be rethought because you have guys that barely have an OPS of 700 because granted, second base is a weak position in the American League. You really have Semyon and who else? Nobody. So if you want to make Semyon the only second baseman, I don't have a problem with it. If you want to have one of those shortstops shipped over, that shouldn't be too tough of an ask. But to include someone like Whit Merrifield, who is not having a good season at all, in favor of someone like Franco, who has seen his reputation tarnished due, due to his style of play. It's understandable why he's not w- exactly well-liked among the players, but that still does not excuse him from excuse them from omitting who is arguably, who is an American League MVP candidate with the, about right behind Shohei Otani and maybe Bo Bichette. Right, and I, I also think the 
all-around abilities of a player sometimes is overlooked when selecting all-stars. I mean, you look at you look at Wander Franco, and he, he's also just an exceptional shortstop defensively. And then even around the bases, I believe he has 26 stolen bases this season. So all around, I think you know he's a quality player. Not not just looking at what he does at the plate or in terms of of getting on base, uh, but he's also a great defensive player can steal bases with consistency. So sometimes I think other factors like that are overlooked. I I just feel that on occasion, a lot of, you know, certain statistics are looked at, but sometimes overlooked as well. It all depends really. Sometimes the all-star selections just have me confused in general. Uh, But when it comes to, you know, how many players at each position are selected, that's another interesting conversation. And, you know, I don't I don't know if that's something MLB changes in the future, but uh, Franco is certainly one of the snubs I had on my list. And I'm interested to know any others that you had in mind. Yeah, Sam, one name comes to mind, and this is as a result of hometown bias, both in Seattle and from me personally. Julio Rodriguez is the most overrated player in baseball. Congratulations, Bryce Harper. You no longer hold that title. It's now the J-Rod show. Great player, should not have been an all-star over Alex Verdugo. I understand Rodriguez excites with his speed and power, but besides that, Verdugo has been better in pretty much every asset of the game. He hits for a higher average, plays much better defense, has a higher OPS. I understand that the game's in Seattle and you want to bring out the hometown players for the Seattle fans, but that still doesn't justify you excluding Alex Verdugo in the midst of a career season, or even Masi Yoshida, Sam. And I know that's part of me being biased, but we need to... It's been flawed for years, but now more than ever it's coming into light that all-star game selection process has a bit of an asterisk next to it. It does. It really does. Because I know you remember... I've been seeing these graphics from seven, eight years ago, how the Royals had, what, six or seven starters? And we're seeing in when we get to phase two of voting, all the Blue Jays players are in it, even though they're having mediocre at best seasons. Come on. That just can't happen. No, it can't. Uh, it's Yeah, I think the the all-star voting has to be taken with with a grain of salt, just because I think everyone sort of realizes you know, it's not it's not going to be what what it really should be at the end of the day, and that's just because of the, the voting system in general. I did want to bring up one other player, uh, Liam, and I'm interested to know what what you think about this. But another player that I thought was actually a potential snub was Christian Yelich, and I know that might be an interesting take. Of course, he didn't have a great start to the season, but. I mean, in the last, I think, 25 games or so, he's been hitting very well, th- about a 330 batting average. He's, he's getting on base nearly half of the time, and, and he's, also, he's also had about 20 stolen bases, and, and he's almost stealing a base a game over the last month or so. So I, I also thought he would have been potentially a worthy selection. He's, he's really turned it around after a sluggish start to the season. So that was just another one I had on my list there. I like to take a lot, Sam. You know, Yelich is never going to be what he was in 2019. Neither is Cody Bellinger. But both of them are having resurgence-type seasons of sorts. And I saw something on Twitter earlier this week that said, who's better between Yelich and Bellinger? 
it doesn't matter. It's just fun to be having this debate again because the battle that those two put on for each other in 2019, it was, it was so much fun to watch, Sam. And to have a piece of that back is nice. So I like that take a lot. I think it's a crowded outfield in the National League and Yelp is hurting from that. But I think it's a great take. Let's move into the home run derby. Your eight hitters are, in seated order from one through eight, Luis Robert, Pete Alonso, Mookie Betts, Adolis Garcia, Randy Rosarena, Vladdy Jr., Julio Rodriguez, and Adley Rutschman. First of all, this is a fantastic field. Yeah. A really good field with guys that have hit the home run ball consistently and, most importantly, can hit it a long way. Sam, who you got? You know what? I am going to take Pete Alonzo to win the home run derby. I think shock. Listen, I, I, I know, I know. It's not it's not a hot take. I think he gets the job done. But it is it is a very stacked field, actually. I can't remember the specifics of the last last few years. Every player obviously involved in those home run derbies, but this feels like the best one in quite a while just in terms of not even great hitters but just the names in here these are recognizable names in the mlb that will bring out i think a good show come uh monday night when this takes place so we could have some upsets in there but pete alonzo he's proven it before i i think i think he's gonna get it done lg i do it's a very fluid decision-making process because it's so unpredictable, you know. Your swing looks a lot different in the home run derby than it does during regular season play, and oftentimes it carries over into the second half of the season. You look at Otani two years ago, the home run derby affected his second half, and I think that is saying a lot. So, but that in mind, I'm not a big the championship matchup that I would ordinarily pick wouldn't would only take place in round two. I think mm-hmm. it's down to Luis Robert and Adolis Garcia belting home runs in the second round. And I think the winner of that matchup will go on to take the whole thing. And the winner of that matchup is going to be Adolis Garcia. Mm, all right. He's taken such strides in his game. Over the past two seasons, he's been a great power hitter, great power hitter with an absolute cannon in right field. Now we're seeing the contact part of his game come into play, and he's developed into one of the best all-around outfielders in all of Major League Baseball. And like we talked about earlier, there's a reason why he's starting the All-Star game. I think that he is going to – he has the ability to hit a lot of balls past that 440 mark to where you get the bonus, and I think that could really help him out in the long run because – you look at a guy like a Rosarena, he doesn't he does a good job getting the ball out, but he doesn't really hit them a long way. Like a lot of his home runs, I feel like, are only a few rows deep. That's not always the case for Adolis Garcia. Granted, that will be a bit more of a problem when he faces Luis Robert, who hits absolute nukes. But in the end, I think Garcia edges him out and wins the whole thing. But realistically, Sam, nothing would surprise me on Monday. No, nothing would surprise us. And we've seen Guys, before Garcia, for example, this is his first home run derby, if I'm not mistaken. So we've seen guys, yeah, come in for their first derby and and ball out and impress. So 
I, I'm, I'm going with someone who's who's proven himself in this competition and clearly takes it seriously in Pete Alonso. But Garcia could come onto the scene, make plenty of noise. And uh, fun fact, he's he's the first Rangers uh, player in the home run derby in 30 years. And that was Juan Gonzalez. So we'll see. We'll see what, what Garcia can do. He definitely has the power. No doubt about that. I could see him going 440, 450, maybe even. Without question, Sam, it's going to be a fascinating Monday night. Two guys that won't be there, Count no time, because I don't want to end the show on a bit of a sad remark, but it really, really is sad, Sam. Because we thought the Angels had momentum. They were right in the thick of things in the AL wildcard race. In the past few weeks alone, trial lands on the IL. Otani leaves his outing with a blister on his middle finger, on his pitching hand. I feel so bad for them. I know Artie Moreno is a chub and isn't exactly what I'd call a good owner, but there comes a point where, regardless of your fandom, you want to see Trout and Otani finally make the playoffs because, let's be honest, it, it would be fantastic for baseball. But then again, you have something like this come up again, and we're sitting here talking about how sad it is. Right. It would be absolutely fantastic for baseball to have the angels in the playoffs because trout and otani are play are playoff players they 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 are at that level where they should be in the postseason year after year but year after year something goes wrong for the angels Uh, no matter what year it is you just gotta feel for them because the same thing keeps on happening you're right just a few weeks ago, I was looking at the standings. The Angels were right there. It was looking good for them. Trout and Otani, both healthy, playing at an elite level, to say the least. And then all of a sudden, things go downhill just like that with both of their stars getting injured. They're now sitting at 500, four and a half games back of a wild card spot. At this rate, it's going to take a miracle for them to get into the playoffs. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. And without Trout and Otani in the picture, we don't know how long they'll be out, of course. But those are, those are going to be games lost in the wild card race, no matter how long they're out. And they can only do so much whenever they get back to, to, to make the Angels a contender uh, down the stretch because it's slipping away from them. And, and it's sad to see for... Two players that are just phenomenal, two of the best in baseball, and it looks like they're going to miss the playoffs yet again. And they've lost four in a row. Seattle's overtaken them in the standings. What more can you say about the Angels? Because year in, year out, we think to ourselves, oh, this is the year. They're finally going to get crowded out tied to the playoffs. And then something like this pops up every year. And just doesn't happen. I don't think I've ever wanted to see a team outside of the Red Sox succeed more than I want to see the Angels succeed. And I'm sitting here in disbelief that I'm even saying that, Sam. But yeah, it just doesn't look like... It feels like a cursed franchise at this point. It does. He's locked up there long-term. But Otani's a free agent after this season. Who knows what the future has in hold for him? Is he going to end up in Boston reunited with Masa Yoshida? Is he going to go to the Mets and get that pool of money from Uncle Steve? Anything can seemingly happen. 
And it's sad, man. It, re- it really is. It is because it seems like the time. I mean, we say it every year that this is their year. The Angels can do it now. But now we are at a stage where they really are running out of time to finally make the postseason. And it, it could be over in terms of Otani potentially being out the door sooner rather than later. And the crazy thing is, you said I outside of the Red Sox, which is both of our teams, of course, I, they're they're the team, you know, I want to see succeed the most. And I think most people across the league would say the exact same thing. I think that's how bad the rest of the MLB and, and its fans feel about the Angels for not being able to make the playoffs with the likes of Otani and Trout, who are players that deserve to be in the postseason, a team that deserves to be there with those two players on their roster. Uh, So I think really across the board, except, of course, maybe the opponents in the Angels division, I think everyone would say the same thing as ULG, where we across across the league as fans want to see the Angels playing postseason baseball. It would just be the right thing for them, and and it would be it would be best for baseball as well. It would absolutely be the best thing possible for baseball. Well, any final thoughts, my friend, before we say so long? Any final thoughts? I mean, it was it was a pleasure to be on with you, LG. I I love talking sports, and with a person like you, it's 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 a lot of fun. So I appreciate you having me on, and uh, all I'll say is uh, is go Red Sox. Oh, too kind and goodbye, Amsterdam. With Sam Reeves, I'm Liam Griffin. Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. We will catch you next time and go, Socks.